You are listening to a podcast from Backstage on the Fringe.com. Hello and welcome to episode 13 of the Backstage on the Fringe podcast. Clara Cupcakes The Worst is a show that has to be seen to be believed. It's comedy, burlesque, clowning and a whole lot more. I spoke to Ellie Squire about the show and some of the other work she's performing in the Fringe this year. Hi, my name's Ellie Squire, aka Clara Cupcakes, and my show is called The Worst. Ellie, thank you very much for talking to Backstage on the Fringe. Um, What can an unsuspecting Edinburgh audience expect from The Worst? Oh, gosh, well, uh, Octopus, uh, number one, um, video game nostalgia, and also just a whole bunch of heartwarming, actual, real-life, relatable feelings, which is a bit hard to explain to people when you talk about the fact that your show is about an octopus trying to find love while being trapped in a video game of her own making. It's the second uh, comedy burlesque-type show that I've seen this Mm -hmm. fringe but it's the only one that features video games and an octopus, so you're ahead of the curve there. Uh, Where did the idea for this show come from and how did you start developing it? Uh, So this was actually the first show I started writing before. I've written uh, four, technically five now, because one of them is two shows. Then you get to pick which one you want to see at the beginning. Um, Choose your own adventure. Uh, I don't ever make it easy for myself. Um, No, but I started writing this one first, and it's actually um, a... Uh, uh, a bit about a relationship that I had uh, six years ago that I had for 10 years uh, that ended quite badly um, on both our accounts. Uh, And so I knew that eventually I wanted to write a show about it. Uh, but I wasn't ready and I'd only hadn't done a solo show yet. Um, and I'm so glad that I didn't do this as my first show because huh. it wouldn't have been what it is now because um, I just didn't have the, the chops to do it essentially. So I wrote a show called The Merchant of Whimsy and then I wrote a show called Hot But Tootie, which was the aforementioned Choose Your Own Adventure show. And then I wrote this one. Uh, and I knew that I wanted it to be a video game um, right from the start. Partially uh, just because I thought the format was cool and it would be easy to kind of insert what I was doing with the show into it. But also um, uh, as a sidebar from the, the relationship that I was in, he wouldn't let me play video games with him. Oh. Um, yeah. And so I just thought that would be – he was a he was a dick. Um, <laughs> the show is not too much about him being the dick though because I didn't want to be that uh, – the show is about me and my journey as an ex-girlfriend. Uh as opposed to him being like, boo, boo this man. Because, you know, things happen and people break up and, um, you know, I'm not mad about it anymore. So what video games were you prevented from playing? Oh, all of them. Um, Yeah, we had, I think we had a PlayStation um, and then maybe a a little Super Nintendo. And I'm not, I love playing video games. I'm just not very good at them. Because uh, I wasn't allowed to play them as a, a child either because it wasn't uh, a female behaviour. Right. Um, uh, so he would just get frustrated with me and be like, oh, just I'm going to play on my own. Uh, which is, you know, uh, not great. Um, so, yeah, that's why I decided it was going to be a video game. And then one day I was watching a David Attenborough documentary, uh, Blue Planet, and they featured a section about octopus and the way that they breed which I would suggest looking up because it's actually mortifying Uh, and it's probably why they haven't taken over the earth Um, because spoiler alert both octopus die 
within that interaction at various stages. Uh, so octopus, I know, they get that smart um, on their own, really? uh, which is crazy to me. Like um, they don't learn anything. We learn from our parents. They just learn on the fly. So or on the swim, as it were. Intuition, yeah. So I'm definitely going to look that up and put a link in, in the show notes. Mm-hmm. What sort of risks are you taking by bringing a show like this to Edinburgh that's packed with entertainment in August? Uh, a lot of financial risk. Um, it is very expensive to do a show in the Fringe, um, especially for someone coming from overseas. Uh, I've been pretty lucky this year. Uh, we got a, a grant through my other show, Seen and Heard, for the accommodation, which is very cool because that's expensive because people just leave and go to Spain for the month and just chug exorbitant rent for their yes. apartments, uh, which, you know, is a smart business move, let's be real. Uh, uh, but there's also, you know, the risk that nobody's going to come, um, especially if you're brand new, nobody knows who you are, um, you know, in Australia, I'm, I'm reasonably well known, like within the, the comedy scene, uh, especially in Melbourne. Uh, and here, nobody, nobody gives a crap. <laughs> <laughs> so that's actually, actually been nice. And it's kind of a nice rite of passage, I think, for a lot of comedians. There's another comedian, uh, Dilruk Jaisinger, who's amazing. Uh, and in Australia, he sells out every single show. He's represented by our biggest comedy agency. And he's here flyering and getting like 10 people a night. And, you know, that's, it's, a, it's a good experience, I think, to have um, in that tough. regard. It yeah, it's really right. tough. So you're kind of risking your ego a little bit as well, uh, which is always good. It's always good to kind of deflate that a little bit. Um, thanks, Edinburgh. So you've got you're on two shows. Uh, three, actually. Three shows. Mm-hmm. So I've seen two of them. I'll have yes. to come along and see the third. Makes this question even more pertinent. How do you physically look after yourself? Because this isn't an easy hour of stand up that you do. No, um, I try and sleep as much as I can, uh, but. With the nature of the fringe, I actually kind of have to get out and fly her from about midday. So at the moment, I I try and be in bed by 2. I get up at 11. I come in at 12 and then fly her in stealth mode as myself rather than in costume. And just, oh, come see her. Oh, she's very good. Have you been recognised yet? Um, only once. Right. Only once I got rumbled. Um so, and then I put the makeup on at around 2 p.m. And then I have a nap in my friend Dougie's lush backstage chair that he has for his show for nice. about 45 minutes. And then I go back out and fly her, which means that I'm in makeup for about 12 hours. Um, there's a lot of hairspray that goes into keeping it on. Um, so I just try and eat as best I can. I'm not doing a great job this festival of that. I'm eating a lot of mac and cheese because it's warm and convenient. It's everywhere um, as well. Sorry? It's everywhere as well. It's everywhere. So you just kind of have to eat, remember to eat, drink more as much water as you can, which I haven't been doing. But the first week is always a bit nuts. So I'm kind of sort of settling into it for the next week. And then just um, try not to take anything super personally. Like if if no one comes to your show, it's not personal. It's just that there's a hundred other shows on at the same time. And people absolutely have the right to choose anything that they want to see. And I'm so grateful that anyone comes to see my show uh, when they have no idea who I am and I'm an octopus and maybe that's a weird concept for them to grasp and see a comedy show about. 
often uh, in shows I will issue a disclaimer and a, a note of advice to say don't sit in the front row mm-hmm. uh, that kind of applies to this one but it doesn't really matter where you sit because you get everywhere during yeah. this performance absolutely um, you are not safe anywhere <laughs> um, no but that my I mean, show sure does have some audience interaction um, but I have a real focus on making sure that the audience interaction is consensual like I always make sure that I, I am the butt of every joke, that nobody else is sillier than me, that um, I, I'm the, the reason that people are laughing, not at the people on stage. Because I quite, it's such an easy crutch to be like, oh, look at this stupid audience member who doesn't know what they're doing. Uh, and I don't think that that is a, a good way to go about it. Uh, so for me, even though I get everyone involved, the whole audience is involved at every stage, like right from yeah. the pressing the start button in the beginning, which is a purposeful move um, so that people feel involved immediately. Uh, to the part, I get a, have a part where I, you know, you sorry, you get I get people up on stage and get them dancing, but it's always very, like. I would never get someone up who felt un- who would feel uncomfortable. I would never, you know, if someone said no, I'd be like, well, that's that's fine. Um, but I very rarely get people saying no. I can count the number of times on maybe one hand that I've had people not want to do it. And that's something that I get quite consistently in reviews as well. They're like, you want to get up on stage with her, yeah. uh, which is my ultimate goal for anything like that. You create certain rhythms in the show. Mm-hmm. Um, by things that are repeated and phrases that kind of come in uh, and it leaves you with a sense that you very clearly know what you're doing mm-hmm. even with the bits that seem a bit uncertain or a bit wobbly it's yeah. very clear that you've got a handle on them audience reaction to this show tell me about how the audience responds to you as a performer uh, well usually uh, it's a mix um, if you're someone who's come to the show and has experienced any of the things that that happen in it. Um, I quite often get uh, quite a strong emotional reaction that I make people cry um, towards the end. Uh, you know, people, it's interesting once people realise that within the silliness there's actually uh, some real substance. Yeah. Uh, and that I am, you know, essentially like playing out just the world's worst breakup. Um, it's... I yeah, people sort of go ah, oh, and then but still, still sort of laugh and still you know there's part there's a part where I'm literally beating myself up, and and people still laugh, and and I think it's because they can relate to that in some capacity, because even if you haven't actually done any of the things to an ex partner in the show, maybe you've thought about it, mm-hmm. you know, and you've been that angry and you've been that sad. Um, I, I would be interested to see what the show feels like for anyone that hasn't been that's been sad. Um, I've not really had anyone because some people aren't sad. They, you know, yeah. some people have a nice life. <laughs> oh, bless them. Um, so, but yeah, it's. I think people relate to the sadness on some level, um, and that I think really resonates with people and the. A lot of people say the show is joyous, which to me, I feel very fraught within it. Um, and it's quite hard to do every night. Uh, so the fact that people would come out of it and be like, I've, I feel better. Mm-hmm. Um, that is just the best. That's more than I could have ever hoped for. Um, the, Clara has this air of confidence, mm-hmm. but this intense vulnerability. 
at points. Um, and she's she's finding a way, she's on a quest and mm-hmm. she gets lost. She involves the audience in helping her navigate through all this this mess that she seems to have got herself into and some of it's been forced on her. Mm-hmm. Um, when you're writing a show like this, do you have sections that pop into your head and you figure out how to fit them in or did you have a narrative structure that you wanted to follow? Both. Um, this is my first show that I had a director on as well, which was amazingly helpful. Um, the, she's, Geraldine Quinn, she's an incredible cabaret performer from Australia that just also knew a lot about video games and kind of has her head screwed on really straight when it comes to structure. Uh, so I knew there were... I Basically, I, I took um, some of the things that actually happened to me uh, and then some of them didn't fit in the show. Like... Uh, <laughs> Um, so I, I looked for, for other things that were regular things that people, uh, kind of tropes of like crazy exes or like, you know, people that are in borderline like abusive kind of relationships. And I actually put on Facebook, I did like a call out and told people some of the stuff that I did, which I'd never like publicly acknowledged before. Uh, like I would go to the house and I went to the house one day and stood outside in the rain outside it in my pajamas in like this drunken like fugue state and sat outside his window and listened to him and his his new girlfriend uh, who he'd left me for talking and then I tried to call him while I was there and like just so I could hear what they said about me um I broke into his email I broke into his mum's email um just and then you know just kind of released that into the world and was like what have you done mm. uh which was it was difficult uh uh, but necessary to do the show, I kind of needed to acknowledge everything that I'd done. And so I got all these things that, that other people had done and some of them were... Um, uh, someone got someone deported. There was two people that got people deported, actually. Um, the story that's in the show about the cr- the, cr- the baby crabs yep. uh, is, in fact, about mice. Uh, a friend of mine put baby mice through his letterbox while he was on holiday and then fed them. And it was weird because it started to get this really celebrative atmosphere, like people being like, yeah, you mm-hmm. slashed his tires. Woo, like you ruined his, his life. And I, I had to, someone actually stepped in because that was not my intention at all, putting it up because obviously the show is a lot about how I re- regret being that person and how horrible it was. Uh, and one of my friends was like, hey, just so you know, I've had some of this stuff done to me and it's it's not good. And I don't think that Ellie put this up to celebrate hurting people. Um, that's that's not what it's about. Um, and so it kind of, which was lovely that she recognised that. Um, and sort of everyone kind of sombered out after that and posted it in a different way, which was great. Um, so suppose it's about acknowledging that something's happened and your, your, yeah. your experience of it almost disempowers it. Yeah. So you're not holding on to that on your own and telling yourself your own story about a series of events, but doing it in a different way and saying, look, this is where I was, this is where I am now. Yeah. Backstage on the Fringe, the podcast that goes behind the scenes at the Edinburgh Festival. If you like the podcast, please subscribe or leave a review on whichever platform you access your podcast from. You can contact me on Twitter via the handle at Backstage Fringe or by email backstageonthefringe at gmail.com. But for now, back to the podcast. Something that at first, as with any show, the first kind of couple of minutes are really important because, mm. uh, and I'm giving nothing away, um, you need to know that a performer can look after you. Yeah. And that this isn't going to be an hour of going, 
oh my God, this is going wrong and they're not able to bring it back. There is no point at this show in which you think that you're out of control yeah. at all, but you are totally out of control in this show. Yeah, absolutely. This is amazing and there's a spectacle and it's there's music and there's singing and there's dance and it's just it was a lot of fun to, to be around it and be and also be part of mm. which you didn't feel that you were sitting in a black box in a room just sitting watching something when you decide to bring a show to edinburgh mm -hmm. there's a point at which a show doesn't exist and then it does yes and then there's a day that you you're not bringing it to edinburgh and then you are mm -hmm. When you decided to bring it here, how difficult was it for you coming from the other side of the world? It was pretty hard. Um, I um, get even just uh, sorting out a venue offer is really scary because obviously there's so many people that want to come here, and I was debating whether to do free fringe or whether to do uh, you know a big four venue, and we sort of explored both. And again, because nobody knows who I am, like they just. You know, and it almost felt insurmountable, like nobody was emailing me back. And it's just like super tough, especially because the show had gone so well in Australia. And, uh, you know, I just trying to be like, no, I'm good. Please, please have me. Nom, 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 nom. Mm. Um, luckily, an offer from uh, Underbelly came through at the last minute. And that's when I had to be like, well, okay, I'm going. Here's so much money. Um, yeah. And that's the scary point where you, you kind of can't turn back. Uh, I mean, you could. I could have turned back at any time. But... Cost. Cost. Yeah, I've already, you know, I've already committed to it. So, yeah, it's super scary. And then your show's on sale and you don't know if anyone's going to come. Uh, I'd sold 30 tickets before I'd gotten here, which to me is just... And I know that doesn't sound like a lot of tickets, but when I did Adelaide Fringe uh, last, last year, this year... Um, I was there on a grant, I knew people there. I'd sold nine when I started. So to have sold that many and to have that many people coming to me was just such a weight lifted in a country where I know I know three people, you know? No, it's, it's the sort of show, I think visually, um, the imagery and the, the artwork I've seen around about yeah. it draws you in yeah. um, I had my attention drawn to your show as soon as I saw it I thought oh yeah totally, totally <laughs> going to see that I want to talk a little bit about the free fringe angle mm -hmm. is there a risk with free fringe performances that the public then think well if the performer doesn't value this as anything other than the fringe show free fringe show why should I and there's a big risk. I think Free Fringe is amazing, and Free Fringe is about what I see the Fringe being about. Yeah. But then you've got other performers like yourself who choose to go to one of the bigger companies mm. and place a premium on that. Tickets aren't expensive. No. But you get a certain additional cachet because you're in one of those venues. Was yeah. that a deliberate choice? Uh, well, actually, initially, because I came here last year just to see what it was about, and I did a Free Fringe show split with my friend Chris Turner, and having that experience was good because it made me realise how important having money every day was yeah. uh, because you would get £5, £10, £20 from the bucket and just being able to know that you can go to Sainsbury's and buy a salad uh, every day was, was really um, beneficial and I'm kind of missing that this year. Uh, I don't. I think the risk with Free Fringe is that people don't tend not to value it um, so they'll go to a show and if they don't like it they'll just leave um, which can happen when they paid for a ticket as well but uh, it was something that I'm, I'm very conscious of and very afraid of with giving out comp tickets to people 
in that, so, because maybe they won't value the show because that happened a lot in Adelaide. There was one night where I gave out like 20 comp tickets on a Friday, Saturday, and I think 13 of them walked out. Uh, you know, my friend Tom Walker did the same thing on the same night, weirdly, and he had 35 people walk out because we're, we're, he's a clown, I'm a clown. It's weird. People aren't expecting maybe that silliness. Um, uh, and so when you give them a free ticket, they, they just don't think that they need to enjoy it sometimes. Uh, that being said, uh, free fringe can be so joyous and amazing. Uh, you know, you can have full houses and, you know, walk away with a hundred pounds, uh, cash, um, because people have enjoyed it. Some people are very, you know, the minimum is usually five pounds, what people will put in. But, you know, some people will be like, that was amazing and do 20. And like, just, you know, it's, it's a risk, but also I think it's a, it's a, a worthwhile one, um, depending on your show. I, did, I was going to bring Hot Patootie here as well as a free fringe show, but the offers were a bit sort of up and down. And uh, also I'm doing two other shows. Yeah. You don't have time. I just don't have time. I can't even imagine, uh, you know, but that being said, if you're coming from another country, I would recommend trying to do a couple of shows. Yeah. Um, because even though you have to pay the, you know, the, uh, the 300 and something pounds or whatever it is as a, as a fee to, you know, for, for the fringe, it would be a hundred percent. I would hundred percent recommend uh, trying to do two, just to have that income coming in every day, um, uh, and also it's advertising for your other show. So you're basically kind of banking on that show to kind of sell the bigger one, um, which is why I'm a bit sad I didn't get to do that this year, because um, it, it it would have been too much. All my shows are that level of energy and that intense. So um, yeah, I would I would worry about you if you were doing more than you currently are. Yeah. I like the free fringe model because if I like a show, mm. I'm, if I've bought a ticket and it's £12, £15, mm. I'm walking away from that thinking, ah, that was worth more than that. Mm. And there's no mechanism. You're not going to go and buy another ticket. But yeah. But free fringe, you can. You can put in £20 be like, that was amazing. Or if you think that this was okay or even not very good, you still got an obligation as a punter to mm. say there's an acknowledgement that you've gone to this effort and, and put something in yeah. the bucket. Um, if you had to choose between a five-star review from one of the big publications mm. or good word of mouth throughout the month for your show, which would you pick? I would say good word of mouth. I think that that generally works better for me. Um, it has a comedy festival like uh, uh, the... the my show was, and they always are, very highly attended by other comedians, um, which is amazing because, you know, having your peers enjoy your show, uh, and they're always the best word of mouth. Uh, Laura Davis is the same. She's an amazing stand-up from Australia. Her show, Ghost Machine, is here, and it's... Oh, uh, um, but she, almost half her audience will be comics, um, because, and then they always talk about the other shows that they love because they know that, you know, that's also the best way to get the word out and so I would I would much prefer that um as much as I would like reviews because they I think they help they help um yeah, but please but they're not yeah most people I've, well, I've spoken to have said they would rather have that that yeah. word of mouth because you get more people in yeah. it's not necessarily about the finances it's about that kind of you don't necessarily come here to get a set number of reviews yeah but you come here to get a feeling round about your show yeah uh, seen and Heard, mm -hmm. this is the other show. How often are you in Seen and Heard? 
almost every night. Uh, I, have, I think I have five days off for the run. Uh, four of them are in a row, which is lovely because uh, on my day off, I've got the full day because um, uh, After Hours Cabaret only runs Thursday to Saturday. Uh, uh, but, yeah, every night I'm doing three different stories throughout the run, I think, because uh, we have someone else coming in who hula hoops. So I'm changing up my story to one about um, a UK comedian who was mean to me. Um, uh and how you should, if your jokes are bad, maybe you should do better. Because um, comedy is subjective, but sexism is not. Um. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm definitely going to come along and see that because I had oh, a fantastic yeah. time oh, seeing, seeing and heard. Uh, um, and for anyone who doesn't know, doesn't know about the show, uh, there's that element of burlesque in it. Mm-hmm. But I can't say it's then dropped and then there's storytelling because sometimes there's storytelling and then the act and I. Yeah. It was extremely engaging yeah um, and it felt like I was a kind of moth storytelling event mm-hmm. where people were being incredibly authentic yeah um, and people you know don't necessarily expect that when they come along to a fringe show uh, that involves a burlesque performer this the acts were outstanding they were all phenomenal acts and they're right very unusual mm-hmm. um, how do you get an audience who might not traditionally come to either a burlesque show or a burlesque comedy show mm-hmm. in the door because you're doing a lot of flyering just now how do you get them in uh, for my show or seen and heard for both uh, well for my show I have a really good pitch. Um, I don't really stress the burlesque in mine a little bit, and I'm starting to think maybe I should. Um, but I just go, oh, hi, I'm the only octopus comedian in the fringe. Can you even believe it? We're underrepresented. And then just kind of rattle off like a bunch of jokes, and I try and make people laugh and try not to stay too long because uh, sometimes I do, and people are like, okay, goodbye. And I'm like, damn it. <laughs> um, yeah. uh, it's just kind of about, um, yeah, getting them and, and making them – you know, uh, engaging with them and making them like you as a performer. Um, seen and heard, the burlesque is actually a really good selling point um, because there's actually not a lot, a lot of burlesque in Fringe. Um, mm. In Australia, it is rampant. Right. <laughs> uh, and people are honestly starting to get a little bit sick of it um, because it can, like any art form, be very bad. Um if you are doing it for the wrong reasons. If you're doing, you should be doing it to entertain people. You should not be doing it to try and get your ex-boyfriend Jeremy back um, and make him see what a mistake he's made, Um, uh, which is quite common uh, because it's a very selfish reason to be performing. Um, So I think we've seen and heard kind of the burlesque brings people in uh, and then people kind of don't, even if they're not expecting it, I think that they're, it's, it still draws them in and they're still like, oh, mm. um, yeah, it is, it is a bit of a tough sell though because I think um, – and the reason that Becky's done the show is that burlesque is valued on the lower end quite often within the uh, spectrum of performing because, oh, it's just stripping. And it is. Um, we're absolutely strippers. We're not better than anyone else. In fact, strippers make just a ton more money than we do. <laughs> but – I think that the reason Becky did the show is because we're on the bottom spectrum, which is amusing because the reason that a lot of art forms exist is because of old school vaudeville shows and, and um, the way they would make money is they'd have a burlesque show as well or they'd have a burlesque performer alongside sporty stand-up comedians and um, jugglers and circus performers. It'd be a big variety show before television was a thing and we all worked together. Uh, 
And then when television came along, you couldn't put tits on the TV. So uh, stand-up and comedy became... That's really when stand-up was kind of invented as a, or came about as more of a serious art form. Uh, and then we just kind of got left by the wayside uh, and we're the ones that got the, you know, the, the decency codes smacked upon us and, yeah. uh, and things like that. We, you know, we had to deal with clubs being raided and... You know, comedians just had to not say fuck. Yeah. Like. It's interesting you say that. In the 70s, um, there was a programme on TV in the UK called The Comedians. Yeah. And it was these real old school, you know, take my wife, please type comedians with the big yeah. flowery shots on. Oh, stuff. I hate my wife, girlfriend. And, and I hate my girlfriend, yeah. wife. Ugh, yuck. Oh, she loves me. Ugh. But sometimes she makes me do the dishes. <laughs> and for an hour, yeah. this was what was on TV. So mm -hmm. a lot of us grew up seeing comedy as that. And then the kind of eighties came along, and the alternative comedy scene in the UK, yeah. and people like Rick Mail and mm. Ben Elton and writing the young ones and stuff. And it yeah. just—I remember being like eleven yeah. and not properly being allowed to watch the young ones. Yeah. But we were all watching and of all talking about it the next day. <laughs> and in those days, you could watch something once if you're lucky. You had a video recorder. Yeah. And somebody would video it, and you get to go and see it. Yeah. Comedy's changed massively, and I mm -hmm. think that what I liked about your show in particular was your. You're subverting some of the traditional tropes around about burlesque as well. Yeah. Um, and you poke fun at that sexuality angle of burlesque yeah. rather than just... And it's in it. It's in the show and it's a great show. You look fantastic when you're doing it. But there's also 90% of the rest of it is what you actually look at. Yeah. Who else are you looking forward to seeing on the fringe? Oh, well, I am, I'm super looking forward to seeing Elf Lions uh, in Chief Chef, but I cannot because we're on at the same time and we have the same day off, um, which is just... Always which, the way. Yeah, it happened to us in Adelaide as well. She's never seen my show. I've seen I've seen her previous one, Swan, which was, oh, um, but I will never see Chief Chef, um, which is upsetting. Uh, I uh, Travelling Sisters have an amazing show. Um, oh, I'm looking forward to uh, Luke John Roberts, I think his name is, and it shows like all I want to do is ch 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 boom, ch yeah. and do some comedy, which is such a horrible title, yeah. um, but that's why I love it. He's been doing really well, and he seems like a proper absurd idiot, so really looking forward to that. Um, oh, what am, I, what am I doing on my days off? Um, uh, Bryony Tomey, who's doing a show after me, a character comedy. I'm going to go see that flamingo. Pretty excited on what am I seen in her days off. Uh, Will, I saw Will see with Spooky Stories last night. He's one of my favourites. Uh, who else? There's so many, and I just I've been trying to plan it. Oh, oh, Bron Batten's on stage dating, which I've yeah. missed at so many festivals, but I've heard is incredible. And the only thing I ever see is her at the start in this costume with blue lipstick on, and her at the end just covered in blood. So I have no idea what the show is. I have no idea. I just know that people love it and that she's been doing it for a while. And I just am desperately looking forward to seeing it. Um, yeah, that's, oh, that's a big one. There's certainly some good picks in there and some things that I'll yeah. um, go along and see as well. Uh, thank you so much for talking to Backstage on the Fringe. It's been oh, an absolute pleasure. Thank you for having me. It's wonderful. Best of luck where you run. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Backstage on the Fringe podcast. A new episode will be released shortly, so make sure to subscribe and you won't miss it. Thank you.